You're listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you discover what's wrong with your business, then show you how to fix it. I'm your host, Donald Miller. Last week, we had a fantastic conversation, and it was with Tanya Dalton, and it was about jumping off the merry-go-round. I think people are feeling a little bit uh, redlined, and they're ready to make some changes in their life. If you missed it, you want to go back and listen. This week, we're going to continue down that path. You have spoken. You are tired of your job. You are tired of your career. You're tired of feeling the way you are. We're going to have a conversation with somebody named Kathy Heller, the host of the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast. If you're feeling overwhelmed and not in control of your life, today's conversation is going to coach you through how to get out of your own way and become what I call delusionally optimistic It really could be part two to the part one conversation with Tanya Dalton. We're talking about your soul here, your desire, your passion. How do you get off the merry-go-round? How do you quit your job? Do you want to be a part of the great resignation? And if you did, what would you want to do? And it might even be that you just go back into your company and you say, I really like this company. I like working here. I don't want to do what I'm doing any longer. What can we do? I think you're going to get some inspiration to make that shift in today's conversation with Kathy Heller. Kathy, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It's so always so nice to be in your presence. All right. So everybody's not, I mean, everybody I talk to, people are leaving their jobs. It's like musical chairs. And it's, I thought it would be a good time for you to help us coach our listeners on, man, if you want to go, it's not a bad time. Or is it? Am I wrong? I've actually heard them saying this is called the great resignation. I read an article in CBS News the other day that said that over 95% of Americans are considering quitting their job. Wow. And I saw other articles that talked about how we've had millions and millions of people already quit their jobs this summer more in an, in an unprecedented way. What do you think is going on? Because... You know, do you think they just have a lot of money? I know like um, a buddy of mine was up in Maine for the summer and he he drove back through town on his way back to Texas. And he said that um, even like entry level jobs, like the sandwich shop that he goes to, they were paying 20 to $25 an hour just to get help. So they were actually losing a little bit of money in order to keep the sandwich shop open. So there's yeah. definitely competition happening. I mean, it's hard to believe that government stimulus checks would flood the economy with so much money that people could just quit their jobs. I mean, I, I think that's true in a lot of entry-level jobs, but not the kind of jobs that we're talking about, right? What, what's going on where, where everybody can just have all this freedom? So I think that what's happened is people have had a moment to pause and reflect on their life and ask questions like, where do I really want to live? What do I really want to do if life all of a sudden is precious? And if there are now new possibilities where we can move out of the city or we can do things from home, what do I actually want to do? And I think that you and I both work with a similar demographic of people who they they did all of the things that they were told to do. You know, they went to high school, they got grades to go to college, they went to college, got a job, have a 401k, and somewhere they're walking from the car to the office and they go, how is this my life? Like this isn't fulfilling. Like it's not doing it for me. And I think that the the blessing in the pandemic was that people maybe got a chance to step back and pause enough to say, is there more that I actually want from this life? And what could that look like? And now I don't want to leave my kids and my family or my pajamas right. or my whatever. 
just to do something that does not light my soul on fire. I don't want to go in the office or commute or have to live in the city if it means I'm doing something that really doesn't feel actually aligned with who I am. So I think people want to live more on purpose now. Well, what do you say to somebody who is having that feeling, but they are afraid? I mean, you know, they've got some security. The boss is saying you got to come back in and people are starting to go back into the office and they got to go back to that life that they didn't really like. Uh, They're afraid to leave. They don't have anything else lined up. They're not the sort of entrepreneurial person who's going to start something or maybe they don't think they are. What do you say to those folks? Well, first of all, I mean, I think that that's like the great the greatest fear and and resistance that we all have is this feeling of, could I really do this on my own? I think the two biggest lies are like, is it even possible? It's probably not. And I'm probably not enough anyway, probably not the right person for the job. Um, So I think what we have to understand is that that yearning, first of all, is there for a reason. I do believe that everyone who's here has something to contribute. I also believe that the opposite of depression is not happiness, but a sense of purpose, a sense of contributing. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I almost believe like everyone's been assigned to make an impact. And when people have a lot of fear, usually it's some version of imposter syndrome, right? Because we have stuff that we've learned along the way. We have a story. We have a couple of tools we've learned. We maybe have a way to help someone lose weight. Maybe we have a way of helping create a product of software that might be... But, but ultimately, there's this imposter syndrome, like, who am I to do this? And I've come to realize only recently, actually, that imposter syndrome is like the most egocentric thing because who's not enough? Your ego, right? Like when you say, I'm not this enough, I'm not young enough, I'm not... It's like, well, your ego's not, but really like yourself, like who you really are when you're in your most authentic place. Ultimately, business is telling one other human being a way in which you can solve a problem that they have. And so if you really just showed up more for how you could solve their problem, than you were worrying about like whether or not you were good enough or whether you were young enough or tall enough or cute enough, maybe you would just get busy being available to show up for someone else. And Daniel Pink said to me recently, it's, it's not just about making this conversation interesting. He said, it's a moral obligation. It's a moral obligation to be in service to other people. Like, did Steven Spielberg have all of the answers to the world's problems? No. But could he tell great stories? Yeah. And so he began to do that thing, right? So I think that what people need to get is we often overestimate what it's going to take and we underestimate what we actually can get done in like a day. And so it's real, actually, it's real simple. We need to just get proof of concept. We need to validate an offer and we can do that before we leave. So I say, don't, don't take the jump, build the runway. You can set a course to that. We can talk about what's actually needed. And that's the thing. We can all go and go and make those offers to people today. Well, I want to talk about those steps. You're reminding me of, have you read um, the book? It's a couple Japanese authors wrote about seven years ago now, but it's called The Courage to be Disliked. It's kind of taking off here in America now. No, but now that you recommend it, I want to read it. That's a great title, right? Courage to be Disliked. It's um, Basically, it's an explanation of Alfred Adler's personality theory is what the book is. And he, you, you reminded me of this recently because he actually argues, Adler argued that he actually created the term inferiority complex. So this, this sort of, you know, everybody feels inferior, but when it becomes a complex, it's where it's gone too far. And he argues that feelings of inferiority, I'm not enough, uh, I'm not good looking enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the money, I don't have the discipline. All of that is a protective mechanism to protect you from possible failure that all you're really doing is talking yourself out of trying 
and it's totally it's totally made up by you. It's, it, and and you're doing it as a protective measure. And that what what he, his antidote for all of that, his antidote for the inferiority complex, is actually courage. And he and he says what you need is the courage to be rejected. That's what you need. And if you ha- and so for all of us to go out and start a business, if you're like I can't do it, or you're scared, the antidote is courage. So one thing that that helps us have courage is a plan, right? I mean, if you say, you know, we're going to go beat this team, that's one thing. We say we're going to beat this team. Here's how, you know, we're going to do this, this, and this. Then you know, it stimulates a little bit more courage. So what what would you say are the st- is the step by step plan? To leaving your job, your boss is making you go back to the office and you want to stay home. What is the step-by-step plan for building the life you want? First of all, I love that. I often say when people show me, you know, this is what I'm working on. This is why it's not working. I say it's not a business problem. It's a courage problem. But what I would say is that the the greatest deficit in the world is empathy. Hmm. There's just not enough of it. Not enough empathy. And uh, Seth Godin would say the same thing in a different way, which is that at its core, anything successful is radical empathy, right? If a business is working, if Apple is working, well, they didn't just guess. They studied what you need. They listened and they're like, okay, we know that you like this color or you wanted this feature, right? So empathy at its core. But what people forget is that we, we all are capable of having empathy and making people feel seen. And so if you're just starting out a podcast and you involve your listener and you take letters from them and you respond, or you're just starting to talk to people on an email list and you got a hundred people, but you respond to them, you'll have customers for life. And just recently I heard from my friend, Britt, who used to work at Facebook. She said, you know, when Facebook started, they knew that if every user enjoyed it so much that they would refer two people, but really it's only 1.3 people. They knew if they could get each person to refer 1.3 people that they would be completely bonkers successful. Now think about it with COVID. We know that if that rate of virality is over one, we're doomed, right? But we try to see under one. So we're talking about people, again, overestimate what they need to do. If you serve one customer so well that they want to tell one more person that's when we would look at the numbers of COVID being super viral or Facebook being super viral. We would say, you're going to have a multi-million dollar business. That's how powerful you serving one person is. So I say intimacy is currency. You got to make emotional deposits. And when you do that with another human being, what happens is it's like a tea kettle, boiling, boiling, boiling. You make deposit, deposit, you touch point, you connect, you, you text the person, DM the person on Instagram, you, you, you write back to someone, you give them another free offer to try something, you show up and say, oh, let me give you something else. That investment, eventually the water gets so, so warm with that emotional depositing, it just boils and the sale just will happen. So the very first step is whether you want to teach a course or sell some granola that you make, whatever it is, service, product, course, membership, you need to find one woman that you know who's a mom at Carline or your neighbor down the street or your friend who's an alumni from the same college. You need to find someone who you think might want the gluten-free granola or who might want to take the class on Japanese hand, hand lettering and say, can I give you this? Could you try this? I'd love to see what you think of it and beta test it and get some feedback. Make a quick Google form and say, what did you like about it? What did you not like? What would you pay for this? And do that a couple of times. And once you get a little bit of feedback, you can say, okay, well, she liked the cinnamon granola. She didn't like the bacon maple granola. So that's interesting. And then the other two people also said the same thing. Okay. So I'm going to double down on the cinnamon one. Now you're going to have that courage, scary, but you're going to have the courage 
to sell it for what you think might be the right price to begin. And if you just have the courage to step out on faith and go all in and try something and find a way to serve someone, not only will you learn a ton about business that you can apply to any other business, but you will be led. The universe will start to pop up these opportunities and say, oh, you know what? You're also really good, not just at the granola, but the way you branded it. But instead of being so worried that you need a master plan to begin, you need to know that the clarity comes from the action. And when you begin and you go all in, there's also an energetic matching vibration. And when you stop saying, I'd like to do a thing, but I'm trying to do a thing. Stop saying I'm trying, right? I'm doing a thing. The world will meet you with a ton of opportunities. That's amazing. I, I, you know, people have asked me sometimes, should I invest in this company? Don, hey, you know a lot about companies. Should I invest in this company? And, and before I ask a single question about the financial opportunity or what they sell, I say, tell me this. Who at the company loses sleep, paces the living room because of their passion to make it work? That's it. If that person is at the company, we can have a conversation about the product and the profit margin and their marketing. Because that one thing can't be beaten. That one thing doesn't let the company die. You know, the, the gluten-free granola didn't work out, but they figured out the gluten-free granola doesn't stick to the pan if they use this thing that they made, and now they're selling the thing. But, what I mean, when you talk to some people, and they're sitting at, in their, their cubicle, and they don't have that. I mean, you know, here's what I'm asking, Kathy. Are you a are you a net that only catches the fish who have that in the first place? Do you know what I mean? Or can that be fabricated in somebody's life? Can you create that in somebody's life? How or how do you how do we generate it in ourselves is really the question. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. It's such a beautiful question. Um, you know, I asked Julia Cameron, she wrote this book called The Artist's Way. I asked her once, do you think every person is actually creative or every person has some kind of passion or some kind of story to tell. And she said, have you ever met a three-year-old that doesn't like to get messy and get the paint in their hair? And, you know, they get in there with their hands. I, I think that our greatest resources, they are that passion and the conviction, but we, we have all by the age of nine or 12 or 24, we've had our hearts broken, but in pieces, mm -hmm. like like stamped on. And so as human beings, we develop these ways to protect ourselves, which you were talking about earlier and that will tell us something like, you know, don't open up too much to passion or to enthusiasm right. because the last time that you went all in and you were vulnerable and you really had enthusiasm, you know, a lot of times people say, how are you doing? Whatever. You want this pancakes, chocolate, or, I don't care. It's whatever, whatever. What is that? That's a way of saying, I'm not going to get hurt. Right? I'm not going to be all in on something. I'm not going to really love someone. I'm not going to really hunger for something because when I do that, then I, I have stakes in the game, right? So I think when I look at people like you or any successful person, really, you look at Lady Gaga, you look at Alan Menken, look at Michelangelo, Serena Williams, you know, these are people who say like, no, it's not cool. No, I do want something. I'm very vulnerable. Everyone's aware that I'm not playing it cool. Like I, I will be, I will be sad if it doesn't work. I am all in. My heart is here. And um we, we're not available for that most of the time. 
Um, and so then we try to fill, we try to fill that empty void with scrolling our phone and watching Netflix, but it's not doing it. It's not doing it. And so I think there's something beautiful about welcoming all of that brokenness to the table every morning and saying, welcome the parts of me that are brave, the parts of me that self-sabotage. It's okay. You're good here. And then how do we start walking in to, to, to the life that we've gotten so distracted from? You know, my, my kids go to a school, it's a very innovative school. And the teacher said uh, just the other day on a Zoom call to all the parents, we need to raise kids who are optimists. Because when you believe in something and you have passion for something, you'll, you'll find a way to solve the problem. But if you don't believe, you're not going to innovate, right? And I think we have to ask ourselves where the lack of optimism comes from, right? I mean, you know, if we all had it when we were three, what quenched it? Where did it go? Why don't we still have it? We actually have uh, one of our core values, three, at this company is relentless optimism. I really, I actually wanted to call it delusional optimism. I wasn't, I was like, relentless optimism is nice. When people think you're crazy, <laughs> when, you, when people go, that guy's delusional, that's, that's when we know we're, we've struck onto something really, really interesting. Yeah, that's what I'm asking when, if you want to invest in a company. Like, show me the delusionally optimistic fool. And then you can, actually, you can actually stand there and go, okay, they're delusionally optimistic or they're not. You know, but if you go, no, I actually think the, this person's passion could actually grow this into something crazy. What I'm amazed is the people with talent. There's so many people who, who have natural God-given communication talent. And I'll go, you should write a book. You should do this. And they don't do it. And then there's somebody who knocks on my door, that, and I don't see them as particularly a, a good communicator. And they knock on my door and they're like, will you help me? So I'm like, actually, I don't, you know, I don't see it. And inevitably that person writes the book. In other words, it's not the talent. It's not the skill. The person with the skill didn't do it. And the person who wanted to do it, but didn't have the skill, got the skill and figured it out. You know, it's the person who's eight steps from the summit of the mountain who didn't summit. And the person down at the lodge going, I'm going to climb that mountain who actually does it. It's it's just over and over and over, and I've stopped I've stopped judging people and meriting on talent. I want to see your I want to see delusional optimism, you know, because I just think that overcomes everything. What we have to get is that our brain is an artifact, constantly replaying the ways in which we've been rejected and all of the ways we've fired and wired different thoughts and sadness into our and then. We build cortisol. We build amounts of cortisol and cortisol receptors. So every single day we wake up and, and fundamentally we wake up in the past. So we think the way we thought yesterday and we feel the way we felt yesterday. And then you say to someone, go start something. And it's like, I don't have the energy, right? We've found, they've done a study recently at Harvard where they said to people, what do you think makes someone more productive? Is it better sleep, better food, whatever? It turns out, even if you didn't sleep at all, even if you're not eating and drinking green juice, you're not eating well, but you're energized emotionally. If you're feeling brave and bold and there's something that's lighting you up, you're on fire. You don't need sleep, right? So it's the it's that emotional higher vibration. It's, it's pumping your mind with the things that give you the space to stir that dream pot, feel that expansion, start to call in possibility. When you feel that way, even if you have 17 minutes a night after your day job and that's all you have, but you feel that way, you'll send that email. You'll push publish on the podcast. You'll reach out to that friend and say, let's get scrappy. I'll meet you at the flea market on Sunday. Let's go sell those three photographs we took and you'll figure it out and you'll keep being led to the expansion, 
right? I mean, I've, I've, I've interviewed 500 people on my podcast. So I have all of these, you know, all of these examples of what's possible, but it's all of the people who have had on the podcast, whether I had Howard Schultz on the podcast, or I had you on the podcast, it's just saying yes. And, and, and sort of being in this place where you're a magnet for possibility because you're, you're already open to possibility. You're, you are sending off a vibration of optimism. You're getting messy. I always say to people, be a C student, get messy, get scrappy, give yourself permission to do something mediocre, but go and do it. Do it with enthusiasm. Do it all in. Listen, if people are serious, they want to quit their job. No, Nobody from my staff is allowed to listen to this episode. But if you're not on my team, you can go to kathyheller.com. You've got something called the Quitters Club that you've put together. What is this? Oh, it's a way for us to help people to quit their job and actually quit doing all the things that they don't love doing and start saying yes to themselves. It's a uh, it's been amazing to see people actually doing this. Is it a community that you're putting together? It's a community and it's a group of workshops. And if they go to kathyheller.com slash quitter, they can take part in the whole thing. All right. I think you're going to get a few visitors. Kathy, <laughs> thanks again for being on. Thank you so much. I love this conversation with Kathy Heller. I love conversations like this. A lot of times, you know, we, we have these conversations. They're very inspirational, but we don't know what to do. Well, let's break down this week's plan of action. That's the part in each episode where I coach you through points in today's conversation that you can immediately implement to strengthen and grow your own business. There was a lot to work with, but there are a few things that really stood out to me. What we really need to do is find a sense of purpose in our lives. And it starts with saying, my current job, what I currently do, is not giving me a sense of meaning or purpose. And, and we, we, first, we want to admit that. That's going to tell us we need to change, right? And we don't want to be a, have victim energy, we want to have heroic energy. Victim energy says that something outside of myself is in control of my happiness. That's what a victim is. Somebody outside, it's called an external locus of control. That's what psychologists call it. People who have a strong external locus of control believe that something or someone or some people or some culture or some government or some economic system or some something outside of themselves has power over whether or not they get to be happy. Now, there are things out of our control. Weather is out of our control. Uh, our height is out of our control. The year we were born is out of our control. A lot of things are out of our control, but not everything. There's a lot of stuff that's in our control. For instance, we can sit down and say, at the existing company that I work for, a perfect job for me would be this. And we can take that to our boss. And our boss might say, you know, you're a very valuable person here. Let, let me try to figure out how to make this work. Can we have an ongoing conversation about it? Or the boss may say, you're kidding yourself. You're not going to get to do this. At which point we have control over whether or not we quit. A heroic energy says, look, I can't control everything, but I can control some things. And on the some things I can control, I'm going to do something about it. So the opposite of depression is purpose, is what Kathy said. We have got to find and work hard toward a place where we feel a sense of purpose. The next piece of advice in the plan of action is don't take the jump, make the runway. I thought this was great advice from Kathy. Basically, it says create the path forward so you are not flying blind as you create and grow your business. If you're going to leave, figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to leave, what you're going to do next. Even creating that plan will give you the ability to stay in your current job for a period longer so that two things happen. One, you, you are actually very professional and you leave a very good name 
as you leave. And second, you're being paid while you figure out what you're going to do next and what your plan is. Getting emotional and getting inspired and jumping off the, out of the airplane without the parachute is not a very good idea. Start making the plan and making the runway. It will immediately make you feel a great deal better. Then finally, and this is a little piece of advice I added into the conversation with Kathy, I talked about being delusionally optimistic. We have a, a, a value at my company. We, we really want to hire people who are relentlessly optimistic. And I, I said it in the interview, I like the word delusionally optimistic better. I mean, you know, when, when I was a kid, I, I made straight Ds and Fs. If I made a C, it was the equivalent of your A. It really was. I mean, that was about as high as I could get. If I would have said, I remember sitting down in high school, I did this, and I wrote that I wanted to be a New York Times bestselling author. Nobody gave me a shot. Nobody. Nobody. I remember even in the Alvin Community College, home of the Fighting Dolphins, we will, we will splash you. I remember going into my professors, if that's what you call them, a professor and saying, you gave me a D minus on this paper. You didn't even read it. This paper's incredibly well written. I think I wrote like one little poetic line that I was so proud of. She actually reread the paper and gave me an F. She said, it's worse than you thought. Let me show you why. <laughs> At no point did anybody say you could do this. But you know, the one characteristic that I had, I was delusionally optimistic. I just believed it could happen. And when you're talking about creating your runway for whatever you're doing, do you really believe? Do you have an internal locus of control of, you know, I'm just not going to stop till I hit the top of this mountain. I will not stop. This is my life now. But being delusionally optimistic about what you can accomplish will change everything. Let me tell you a little, little strategy here, a little, little, little trick. It doesn't matter whether you get there. It doesn't matter where you get there. Some of the most depressed people in the world are people who have accomplished their dreams. And they were so happy getting there. And when they accomplished their dreams, they realized it didn't fulfill them. It wasn't heaven. It, it didn't resolve all their internal conflict. All the issues and the baggage that they took with them, they still have. What's really fun about life is just trying to get there. And, when the, and then when you do get there, you figure out a new mountain to climb immediately because otherwise it's a recipe for depression. You were designed to move into a story, live in a story, accept challenges, and let those challenges transform you. You were not designed to sit on a throne and have all your conflict resolved by wishful thinking. We have to be delusionally optimistic about what we can accomplish as a human being, what we can accomplish in our careers. I love these conversations, both last week with Tanya Dalton and this week with Kathy Heller. I think they're fantastic. Uh, they're inspirational. But none of this, none of this actually cooks the rice, right? You, gotta, you have to get busy in the kitchen. We have to do some things if we want to make our life meaningful. Listen, if you need help getting out of your own way, if you need help, just a conversation about what you want to do with your life, what will bring meaning we have trained our Business Made Simple coaches to take you through a process called Hero on a Mission. I've got a book coming out in January called Hero on a Mission. It's all about creating your life plan, figuring out what you want to do, and orchestrating, designing a life that gives you a sense of meaning. If you want to spend a day or a 10-day workshop with a coach to figure out your life plan and what lights you up, go to hireacoach.com. We've got a bunch of coaches on there. You can actually look around, see if there's anybody you want to enter into a relationship with in terms of a coach relationship, and email them. Start a conversation. Start a relationship. You don't have to do this alone. You can figure out what lights you up in the context of community. 
Listen, that is all for this fantastic episode of the Business Made Simple podcast. Thanks as always for listening. Every episode of this podcast aims to help you discover a little something that's wrong with your business and then show you how to fix it. So until next week, here's to growing your business. Mm -hmm.